0: In Revelation chapter 2, Jesus addresses the church at Ephesus, a church that was strong in doctrine, but sadly was diminishing in their love for God and for one another. In the famous line, Jesus says, return to your first love. Go back and do what you did at the beginning when you fell in love with me and that love was evident in everything you did. We're going to learn more about the love of Jesus and returning to that love today. On walk in truth.
1: These are the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. Before we get started with today's message, we want to let you know that this is a listener supported ministry. Call with your gift at 844 48 Truth. That's 844 48 Truth. Now, here's Pastor Michael.
0: The Lord is in control of the church. He's in control of these messengers of the church, whether they be leaders or the essential spirit of the church. And he walks amongst his people, amongst the lampstands. He's present. He is the light of the world. He's the one that gives light to the lampstand. He's the one that fixes the wicks and pours the oil in that's running out and keeps the light shining brightly. He's in the midst of his people. He said he will never leave us, nor will he ever forsake us. And so Jesus is in the midst He sees what's going on in the church. So when he gives an assessment of the church, it's because he walks in the midst of his people. Amen? So that could be very encouraging to you or quite frightening, depending on what you've been up to in the last week, because Jesus walks amongst his people. He knows exactly what's going on in this church. He knows our hearts. He knows what we've been up to. He knows the good, the bad, and the ugly. And he has the right to do an assessment on his church. And he's going to do just that for the church at Ephesus. He's going to say, for example, in verse 2, I know your deeds. I know what you're doing. Why? Because he walks amidst the church. Now, you might be asking, well, this church at Ephesus, what do we know about them? Well, we know that there was a book written to the church at Ephesus called The Letter to the Ephesians. How many of you have enjoyed the book of Ephesians? Such a great book, isn't it? It's a, it's a book about who we are in Christ, that we're saved by grace through faith and not, not that, not of ourselves. It is a gift of God. It's not by works so that no one should boast. We all know Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Many of us know Ephesians two ten. We are his workmanship. We've been created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We know Paul celebrates the love of Jesus Christ in Ephesians 3. And then in Ephesians 4, he says, now walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. And he talks about putting on the new man in Ephesians 4. And in Ephesians 5, he talks about many things like being wise and walking in wisdom and and loving one another in marriage. And then in Ephesians 6, he tells us a little bit more about how to behave and then gives us the armor of God. Well, the church at Ephesus is a celebrated church in the New Testament. It's supposed to be a church that was known for its love and known for, you know, being a strong church, but it was located in a very difficult place. And something happens to this church, as we'll see in a moment. I don't know what the time frame was, how long it was from the time that they got, they were strong till they became weak, but um, they obviously had some problems, as we'll see in a moment. Just some facts about Ephesus. Ephesus was located on the west coast of Asia Minor in modern-day Turkey, and it was the most important city in what's called proconsular Asia. When you hear of Asia or Asia Minor in the Bible, it is not Asia as we know it. It is modern-day Turkey. Sean, if you don't mind, just go ahead and put up the first slide there. Just just a little bit of what they've discovered uh, in this area. This area was known as one of the Uh, One of the seven wonders of the world was located in Ephesus, and it was a temple that was constructed and built to a Greek goddess called Artemis. Her Greek name is Artemis. Her Latin name is Diana. The archaeologists have dug up statues of her, and when they dig up statues of her, she is this fertility goddess. And what you see on the front of her is multitudes of breasts because what she's supposed to represent is fertility blessings, So the main, uh, uh, I guess you could say, attraction if you visited Ephesus back in the day was this incredible temple, and they called it one of the seven wonders of the world. And there was some sort of teaching that went around the city of Ephesus that the great image of Artemis, this grand statue that was in the temple, had fallen from heaven. When Paul went into Ephesus in the book of Acts, which he founded the church on his second missionary journey, and then there were others who helped with the church as Paul left and then came back, Um, is uh, Paul was preaching the gospel, and you remember he ran into some silversmiths, and one of them's name was Demetrius. And uh, for the uh, celebration of Diana, they would have an annual spring festival, and they had They had these priests, they would call them curates, and they would march down the agora. Sean, would you go to the next uh, slide, please? This is a a library from probably the 2nd century AD, but go to the next one if you would. And you can see these ruins today. They had a large agora. An agora just simply means like a marketplace. And so the, the curate priests would lead a processional Uh, down the street for Diana or Artemis and the people would shout to her they would acclaim the goddess and they would say great is Artemis of the Ephesians great is Artemis of the Ephesians well Paul showed up in Ephesus and he started preaching that there's no such thing as an idol in the world the true God is found in the Bible and the true expression or the manifestation of God in, in human flesh is Jesus Christ and he started preaching to the people and the pre- people were turning from their idols and turning to the living God to the degree that people began to take their secret magical texts which this area was known for they they actually dug out what's uh, dug up what's called the Ephesia Grammata literally the magical texts uh in this area of Ephesus and they were known for sorcery and magical spells and that kind of thing and they would acclaim the goddess and they would call out to her and they would call out to her for fertility blessings and even some of the philosophers the greek philosophers of the day when they looked at the behavior of ephesus they decried it they said there's so much immorality in ephesus it is just it's a terrible thing to behold if you've ever gone to new orleans at certain times of years or you know certain places where just ungodliness is everywhere you you kind of get the idea of what ancient ephesus was about there was ritual prostitution there, you know, people came here, and they would leave money on deposit in the temple, and th- this became a very prosperous city as well. Go to the next one if you would, Sean. And so here's a picture of this agora, and it leads into this incredible theater. Go to the next one. And this incredible theater there today seats 25,000 people. And if you read the story in the book of Acts, you'll see that they end up moving towards the theater and there are people who are trying to pull Paul away and save him from the mob. And this is the kind of stuff that happened for the apostle Paul. He came into the midst of an ancient pagan land and began to preach the gospel and Demetrius got the silversmiths together and he said, he said, this, this Paul is stirring up all kinds of trouble and he says gods made with stone are no gods at all. And he's ruined our business. We got a Tickle Me Elmo doll where it's not selling good. It's springtime festival, baby. Come on. This guy's ruining our business. This is what happened in the ancient world. These are the kinds of ruins that are still around today. I think we might have one more. Here's something else that was going on. At many of these locations, they had what's called the imperial cult. What that simply means is that they had emperor worship going on. And, I, and I've mentioned to you that there's a little debate about the dating of the book of Revelation, and the two major camps date it either in the era, era of Nero or Domitian. At Ephesus, there was this huge statue of Domitian. They say it was 25 feet high, and you can see the dimensions as that little girl is there. And it overlooked the harbor, And when you came into Ephesus, there was a huge statue of Domitian with his uh, arm in the air saying, if you come into this harbor, you will be under my lordship. And what Domitian claimed to be is king of kings and lord of lords or god of gods. He demanded worship, and to be a Christian in Ephesus was extremely difficult. In fact, uh, scholars believe that John was probably the pastor at this time In Ephesus, and he had been banished to the Isle of Patmos because of what was happening in this city, and he would not back down from preaching the gospel. John is writing the vision of the book of Revelation on the Lord's Day. We've concluded that's probably Sunday. And as he wrote to these churches and wrote to Ephesus first, think of what was going on in John's heart. You're the pastor of a church, you've been banished to an island. And that church has to be on your heart. Can you imagine a Sunday morning on an island where you're forced to do manual labor as an old man? You're a pastor of a church, but you can't be with the people that you love. And when he writes to the church at Ephesus, even though it is the words of Jesus Christ, you have to imagine what's going on in Paul's uh, excuse me in John's heart. And it is, I'm sure, great concern and great uh, hunger to be with the people that he loves. Well, that's a little uh, taste of uh, what was going on there. And as Jesus addresses the church, he says, verse two, he says, I know your deeds and your toil. If you have an NIV, your hard work and your perseverance and that you cannot endure or tolerate evil men. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they are not, and you have found them to be false.
1: You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Visit the Walk in Truth store today to get the Revelation DVD series by Pastor Michael Lance. The book of Revelation reveals the person and work of Jesus Christ and how he speaks to his church in both words of commendation and correction. This book will give you a unique glimpse into heaven and the worship that happens there. It also reveals the future. We see the Seven Sealed Scroll, the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse, and many other intriguing truths that expose God's plan for planet Earth, the unbelieving world, and his church. Join Michael Lance in a DVD series of this dramatic, often sobering book. Visit the Walk-In Truth store today to order your copy of the DVD teaching The Mark of the Beast, The Seven Seals, and The New Heaven and New Earth. All available to help you dive deeper into the book of Revelation. Visit walkintruth.com today, That's walkintruth.com. Click on store. You can now listen to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance wherever you go and whenever you want. That's because Walk in Truth can now be heard on your favorite podcast app. Apps like iPodcast, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, and much more. Simply open up your favorite podcast app and search Walk in Truth. Make sure you subscribe so you'll know when a new show is available. Thanks for listening and partnering with Walk in Truth. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth.
0: John is writing the vision of the book of Revelation on the Lord's Day. We've concluded that's probably Sunday. And as he wrote to these churches and wrote to Ephesus first, think of what was going on in John's heart. You're the pastor of a church. You've been banished to an island, and that church has to be on your heart. Can you imagine a Sunday morning on an island where you're forced to do manual labor as an old man? You're a pastor of a church, but you can't be with the people that you love. And when he writes to the church at Ephesus... Even though it is the words of Jesus Christ, you have to imagine what's going on in pulse uh, excuse me, in John's heart, and it is, I'm sure, great concern and great uh, hunger to be with the people that He loves. Well, that's a little uh, taste of uh, what was going on there. And as Jesus addresses the church, he says, verse two, he says, "I know your deeds and your toil, if you have an NIV, your hard work and your perseverance." And that you cannot endure or tolerate evil men. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they are not. And you have found them to be false. Now, this is, we have the commissioner in verse 1, Jesus. We have the commendation in verse 2. If you're wanting to head these verses, here's what they're commended for. This is what they're doing well. Jesus says, I know your deeds. I know what you do. I know your hard work or your toil. It speaks of uh, working to the point of exhaustion. And I know when you hang in there, and I know you have been, I know you've been persevering. And some of you, you know, you may want to just take to heart that Jesus knows that you've been hanging in there. He knows the good stuff that you've been doing, the hard work that you do behind the scenes that maybe nobody else can see or applaud. He certainly knows that. And this is more he, of what he applauds them for. He says that you cannot endure evil men. Uh, This is a good thing. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they are not, and you found them to be false. If you were to categorize the church at Ephesus, one thing that you would say about them is that they are pretty good in terms of their orthodoxy. They test people who claim to be apostles. They found them to be false. The Greek word for test is parazo. It's a word that means the testing of metals. They, They put them through the paces. They tested their doctrine. These guys were extremely orthodox. And these guys also, contra the Corinthian congregation who was celebrating a man who was sleeping with his father's wife and wouldn't even boot him out of the church, they wouldn't even endure evil men. They weren't afraid to deal with sin in the camp. And by the way, whenever you're going to deal with the church, there's always going to be sin issues in the church. You know why? Because we're people, But the difference between a Christian is Christians feel conviction when they sin and hopefully repent of sin. Whereas this man in the Corinthian congregation was being celebrated and it appears he had no intention of changing that relationship with his father's wife. And so Jesus is saying, you know what? I see what you do. I see that you toil. I see that you persevere. He even applauds them for, oh, hold on to your seatbelt, folks. He applauds them for being intolerant. Oh, my goodness, wait a minute. Tolerance is the God of the new age. I mean, tolerance is what we're supposed to all be practicing, except if you're a Christian. Then nobody should tolerate you. Well, Jesus says, I think it's a good thing that you're intolerant about some things, like false doctrine and evil in your midst. In fact, I applaud you that you test things and find those who claim to be apostles to be false. Turn to the book of Acts for a second. Acts 20, as Paul meets with the Ephesian elders at Miletus on his way to Jerusalem, this is a word of warning he gives to them. Acts 20, look at verse 28. There's so much good stuff in here, but here's what he says. Yeah, that's my famous line, isn't it? Twenty twenty-eight. he says, be on guard. Is he's addressing the Ephesian elders, so the leaders of the church at Ephesus. Be on guard for yourselves, Acts twenty, twenty-eight, and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God which He purchased with His own blood. I know, says Paul, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, so that is from among the elders of the church, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one of you or each one with tears. Now, it would appear that the leaders of the church at Ephesus, go back to uh, Revelation 2, heeded the warning from Paul, and they were good at being theologically precise. We would applaud that. We're that type of church, as you've probably noticed. We do care about theology. We want theology is simply the study of God. We certainly want to honor God with diligent study and presenting the scriptures in uh, you know rightly dividing them and that kind of thing. And Jesus applauds them and this was a church that was concerned about purity in their midst and that's applauded. 2 Corinthians 11:13 and 14 says such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, they're disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. That was 2 Corinthians eleven, thirteen, 13 and 14. You have people who are claiming to be modern apostles, right? Claiming to have apostolic authority. claiming some, In some circles, claiming to have more authority than the apostle Paul. That's a scary thing. Because the canon is closed. The scripture has been written. Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. I think he has a pretty good amount of authority, So if you want to claim to be some sort of modern apostle, we're going to be careful to check your resume. Jesus said, Beware of false prophets, Matthew 7, 15, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit the didache, which is a second century church manual, might be right right at the turn of the century, said that the test for a true prophet is if they behave the same way that Jesus did. So you will know them by their fruits. You can analyze teaching. You can certainly look at someone's life and see what kind of fruit comes out. So Jesus commending them says, you have perseverance, Revelation 2.3. You're hanging in there. You're fighting the good fight. You've endured for my name's sake. You've not grown weary. The idea is you've not gotten tired. All things commendable, all great things uh, to be celebrated. And if you are a person who's hung in there tonight and you've not given up and you've not quit quit on your walk or on your faith or on things that you know you've been struggling with, I think Jesus would applaud you tonight. And I think you can apply that to yourself. But here comes the criticism, verse four. But I have this against you. So some have suggested that there's a model here for management principles. Let me just touch on that for a second. You all know that when you are looking to correct someone, it's always good to commend them for what they do well. Some of you are in managerial positions or you have been in the past. You got to call somebody into your office and you got to correct them for something. It's always good to commend them for what they're doing well. They can receive the criticism a little bit easier if you commend them first. Amen? This is actually a principle in Revelation 2. Jesus celebrates the church. You do well. You're good with theology. You're careful about testing men who claim to be apostles. You don't tolerate evil. You've hung in there. You've persevered. Good job. We've got to balance, just as a general rule, whether it's parenting or running a company, our criticism with our commendations, amen? If you criticize somebody too much and you never commend them, they're gonna lose heart. And sometimes you have to look really hard to commend certain people about things, amen? (laughs) Let's see, what can I think of? Have they done anything good in the last year? I don't know, right? But sometimes we can overlook the good things that people do, amen? We can miss it. And we're always pointing out their weaknesses and we never celebrate their strengths. That's a mistake. So Jesus gives us a roadmap here and he says, but I have this against you. And this is so poignant. It's so to the heart that it is that searchlight. And it's this, he says, that you have left your first love. That's what I have against you. You've left your first love. The criticism, if you're taking notes and putting headings here, is that you've abandoned the love that you had at the first. What is this love? If you read 50 commentaries in the book of Revelation, you'd probably get at least three or four different opinions. Some people say what they lost was their love for one another. And that's certainly true, that we can lose influence and light if we don't love each other. Jesus said, they will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. 1 John 3:14 written by the same author that's writing the book of Revelation says, "We know that we've passed out of death into life because we love God's people." And so certainly one aspect of this love could be their love for one another began to wane. Think about a church that is very good, they're very orthodox, they're very critical about testing doctrine and individuals They might be more apt to become loveless because they're always on guard about making sure everybody's right and straight and true. And when you're doing that kind of assessment, you can sometimes lose the good parts of people and be overly critical. And somehow churches and leaders of churches have to find that balance. And those of us who are part of the body of Christ. You know, it's true. Our Christian walk can get out of balance. And I think it's been true for the church, and maybe it's been true for you and for me, that sometimes we can move in extremes. And it doesn't mean that we're not passionate. It just means that we may not have the balance that we need to have. You see, we must hold to the truth, not shy away from the truth, but we have to speak the truth with compassion and with love. We can't forget where the Lord has brought us from. Don't forget how far you've come so that you don't get overly critical with those who are trying to make it. And in that sanctification process, as we all are, there's a great verse in Ephesians 4.15. Since we're talking about Ephesus, it's called speaking the truth in love. I heard one pastor say, think about it this way. It's truthing it in love, truthing it in love. This ministry is all about walking in the truth, walking out the truth. And as we do that, we will truth it in love. That's something that I think we all need to remember. Well, I'm Pastor Michael Lance, and if you would like to learn more about the book of Revelation, and I'm sure you would, as we all would, check out my DVD teaching in chapter 7 called The 144,000 and the Great Multitude. We have this in a DVD teaching. I'd love to get a copy into your hands. You'll get more insight about who the 144,000 are, who is this great multitude that all of a sudden appears in heaven, And John begins to ask questions about them. You get some incredible insight into the 144,000 identity, the timing of the rapture. There's so much here. And I'd love to get this into your hands. You might ask, well, how do I get it? Well, you go to walkintruth.com, click on the store, and there you can find that particular DVD. As you buy that and even buy it for a friend, you will help partner with us in reaching out to more people just like you. Well, tomorrow we'll continue in Revelation 2 about returning to your first love. Tune in tomorrow. Tell a friend what you're hearing. We'll catch you then. God bless you.
1: Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, encouraging you to reach out with God's truth to all people.